We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Welcome, everyone, to the Ultimate NFL Season Preview presented by Odyssey and the Locked On Podcast Network. Our Locked On local experts are here to help you get ready for the NFL season by going division by division, covering every team, their rivals, and the best players. But first, our Odyssey insiders, Ross Tucker and Jason LaCanfora, are here to share their thoughts on each division. Today's episode, the AFC North. The AFC North has become one of the best divisions in football, and it will live up to that billing this year. But the team I favor, the one I believe has the most talent on paper, and also finally the requisite amount of coaching acumen is the Cleveland Browns. There are not many weaknesses on this team. Jadavion Clowney will make a big difference as a bookend on the other side of Miles Garrett. The secondary is much improved, and the offense boasts strength after strength after strength. Baker Mayfield knows what's asked of him and not required from him. He's a point guard, not a three-point shooter. He distributes the ball and does it well. Great offensive line, dominant run game. They are the bully in the AFC North. The Baltimore Ravens will be in the postseason as well. Lamar Jackson, if he's healthy, you're looking at a team that's going to win more than 10 games. This division will come down to the head-to-head games between the Ravens and the Browns. I do still, though, believe Baltimore won't be exactly where it wants to be in terms of its downfield passing game. They will continue to have the same DNA they've had, run the ball down people's throats. That'll get them to January. We'll see if it can get them over the top. The Pittsburgh Steelers, I believe Mike Tomlin can continue his streak of not having a losing season. I just don't believe it will include a playoff berth. That offense, even with Matt Canada running it, has Major limitations. Ben Roethlisberger is at the end. Najee Harris will be a thing, a big thing, perhaps rookie of the year. The Steelers' defense is still good. It won't be great enough, however, to get them to the postseason. Nine and eight might be their peak. And the Bengals, well, you just got to hope they get better as the season goes along. Joe Burrow won't be 100% mentally for week one. He's still working through a lot of demons coming back from major knee surgery. I don't buy their offensive line. Defense might be a little better, but not good enough to be a factor. What up, football fans? I'm Jake Lisko. I'm joined by James Rapine, Jeff Lloyd, Chris Carter, and Kevin Ostriker as we will together preview the AFC North. Represented are the Locked On Bengals, Locked On Browns, Locked On Steelers, and Locked On Ravens podcast. And we will start with the division champion, Pittsburgh Steelers, Chris Carter from Locked On Steelers will get us going here. Chris, what are expectations this year after such an up and down season for the Steelers in 2020? Well, one of the biggest things that they've changed about this season, as soon as the season was over, team owner Art Rooney uh, immediately said, we are going to run the football this year. That is not going to be a thing that is pushed to the side as it was last year. The Steelers came in dead last in running the football, both in yards per carry and in total yardage. And 
I was like, when I look back at that, I'm like, yeah, James Conner, Benny Snell, that was that was a rough time. Uh, but they have done a whole completely revamp of their offensive line. They made sure to draft Najee Harris with their first round pick. And we've seen in the preseason bursts of Najee Harris showing that he's going to be tough to bring down. The offensive line being a much more physical group. I, you know, I I had attended mini camp and training camp. And one thing that I, you know, I got from the offensive line as well as the offensive line coach, the new offensive line coach and the new offensive coordinator that they got, the offensive line last year would take one or two steps and then just try to seal guys. They wouldn't try to bowl people over. They wouldn't try to block them downfield. They would just seal guys and try to turn them away from the hole. That's not what this offensive line is going to do because last year, most of their line, offensive line, were in their 30s. This year, nobody's in their 30s. Everyone's either very young in their early to mid-20s. They have uh, Trey Turner and Zach Banner who are in their mid to late 20s. They want to be a more physical group. They want to be a more dominant group up front. They want to have a run game that brings a little bit more balance to the offense. You know, one thing that I looked, and I looked back throughout the last like 11 years of, of the NFL, the team that finishes with the worst rushing game in the NFL normally finishes 5-11, and 4-12, and 3-13. and 13. That Steelers team going 12-4 and four with that, with all the injuries, whether it was Bud Dupree or Devin Bush or Joe Hayden or Vince Williams or Robert Spillane or, you know, just like down the line, they just kept losing person after person and they never had a bye week. You know, when you look at that, it's kind of like, okay, they were able to get 12 wins that season. The big question is, can they reach some efficiency on offense with new offensive coordinator Matt Canada, who has emphasized running the ball and albeit different different ways with the way that he orchestrates his offenses? They still have the same really talented receiving core, and they still have that top flight defense that will be most likely again leading the NFL in sacks. You know, in the top five NFL defenses for an, an, another year. Uh, they're going to try and balance out the, the team so that Ben Roethlisberger doesn't have to throw the ball 50 times a game, oftentimes like he did last year, when his arm did give out and something that he told us in minicamp, he's like, I threw thousands of passes before I even got to minicamp last year. So my arm was losing it by November, which is when about the time we saw him start to fall off in his numbers because he looked really good through about 10 weeks of the season. Uh, but that's where I think that this Steelers team could be the most difference is that they're looking to be a much more balanced team with a stronger run game, with a passing game that isn't trying to just dink and dunk like it did under Randy Feekner's office. They're taking more shots in practice, more shots down the field in preseason games. Um, and this defense is still is, is still playing playing up to a high level. They're retooled. Alex Highsmith, I think, is going to be one of the breakout players of the AFC North. They have a lot of good things going their way, and a lot of these guys that we're talking about are younger players that they're going to be able to bank on in future years. There are a lot of questions, I feel like, about that offensive line. A lot of turnover there. Pouncey retires. David mm -hmm. DeCastro dealing with the, the surgeries, takes his leave or is released, I guess, from the team. And it seems like the offensive line was expected by many outside of Pittsburgh, at least to be a weak spot for this team. The early returns in preseason do appear to be positive for some of these newcomers. Is your take that the offensive line will be as good as we've seen in the last, say five years of Pittsburgh Steelers football, or are you expecting some growing pains perhaps with some of these younger players? I'll say this. They will be better than last year because last year, I think that the injuries to Marquise Pouncey just told on him. And you, like you saw like in that playoff game, first game, first play of the game, he snaps it over Ben's head and he couldn't get his knees just weren't the same anymore. Um, and, you know, I think David DeCastro, you saw him not being able to be the same. Reports were initially that he was going to be fine, but then it turned it out that he needed another surgery. And they're like, listen, man, we can't pay you to, you know, all this money to be the second highest paid offensive player on the team. 
just to sit out for 10 weeks of the season. So that's why they had to let him go. I will say this, Kevin Dotson looks like a, a stud at, at left guard. He has been really strong. People were really excited about him last year. He was bulldozing people when he was playing, just kind of needed to polish his game. What you will see from this team is more physical offensive line play, but it will take them time to gel. Those first four weeks are going to be rough on this offensive line. I'm really intrigued to see how they operate with that. Because also, here's the other thing, that offensive line that projected starting five, they didn't get to play with each other until about the third week of preseason. Now, granted, they started a week earlier because they had the Hall of Fame game, but it took them a while to all get on the same page because Zach Banner coming back from an ACL injury. Kevin Dotson had like some tweaks with his groin, but now he's back in full strength. Jakumo Korfor had the same thing. Kendrick Green was there in solid. Trey Turner, the guy they got from the Chargers, was there in solid. Um, but Dan Moore Jr., a tackle, their rookie tackle from Texas A&M, they you know, classified him as a steal in the draft in the fourth round. He has looked extremely strong in these preseason, even poor pro football focus who generally just berates the Steelers and says, ah, oh, you know what? So what? Chase Claypool had 13 touchdowns. He's a bum. You know, we, we get those kind of reviews from them, but even they're saying like, no, Dan Moore Jr. looks really good. So there's optimism, but you're hitting the nail on the head. There is going to be a lot of gelling that needs to happen for this offensive line. In fact, I wrote about that with my last article, uh, Breaking Down Film, and that's going to take time. They're hoping it takes, you know, three to four weeks. But if it takes, you know, six, seven, eight weeks, that could be lead to some problems and some they need to work around that. But the Steelers, they're, they've done this before. The last time they won the Super Bowl, they won the Super Bowl with one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL. We'll be intrigued to see if they can find a way to compete with that with that kind of a group again. Now, a fun little exercise that we're going to go through with each of the teams here is let's have a little bit of jealousy. Let's let the MV come through and look at these teams in the division and say, you know what, which Steeler would I like to poach? And we're going to start, Jeff, with you. The Browns have a very strong defense. It looks like they've got pieces on the, in the wide receiver group, a lot of confidence in the running backs and the offensive line. If you were looking at the Steelers today, what one player would you like to steal and add to the Browns roster? I would go with Chase Claypool. I mean, just the size, the athletic makeup, um, the fact that, you know, you look at production he put out last year as opposed to, you know, what he was being paid as opposed to the Browns paying two wide receivers $30 million for not the greatest production. I just think Chase Claypool, and I think it's a it's a type of thing that's going to translate anywhere because when you can do things short, you can do things deep, you can do things with the ball in your hands out of the backfield. He's just a really, really special talent. James, let's go to you next here for the <laughs> Bengals. Looking at this Steelers roster, who are you taking? This is easy. TJ Watt. That's exactly <laughs> who I'm taking. You you grab him, you put him on the edge there, and you say, all right, Trey Hendrickson, I know we're paying you a lot of money. Or, uh, all right, Sam Hubbard, I know we're get paying you a lot of money. But get out TJ of Watt, it's, it's TJ Watt time, Chris. <laughs> and Kevin. Listen, man, if there's an expansion draft, the TJ Watt would be the first guy the Steelers would protect. So, I mean, it, it makes total sense uh, uh, why you would pick him. Kevin. Yeah, we're not talking about money. We're not talking about future contracts. It's TJ Watt for me, too. I mean, how could it not be? <laughs> I mean, putting him on a Ravens defense that already has an elite secondary with Marlon Humphrey in there. You know, now you got Justin Houston as a pass rusher, too. So putting him on that defense, I mean, I think that makes them – one of the best units in the entire league. And that's, that's, that's a dream for, I think, Ravens fans everywhere. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? 
Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Speaking of the Ravens, Kevin, the Ravens finished second in the division last year. I think there was a little bit of drama around the Ravens a couple times last year. There was the the COVID game with, with the Steelers, right? Then there was the delays. There was Lamar mysteriously missing and then heroically coming back and, and winning a game. What's your feeling for the Ravens this year? What's, uh, what's changed? What's the biggest difference for this Ravens team? You know, you've, you've added a lot of wide receivers through the draft, free agency. They all seem to be hurt, unfortunately. But but tell us about what's changed in Baltimore. Yeah, the receivers and, and the offense in general, I think, is where people are looking to and seeing a lot of excitement. Obviously, you have Lamar Jackson. That's a lot of the excitement. But you add Rashad Bateman in the draft. You add Sammy Watkins in free agency. And they also improve their offensive line. Kevin Zeitler coming over from the New York Giants. I think that was a phenomenal move. Ronnie Stanley is coming back from a brutal injury. He suffered in the middle of the year against Pittsburgh. And also, yes, you know, Orlando Brown Jr., that's a pretty big loss. That wasn't something the team could really do a lot about. He wanted out, you know, wanted to play left tackle to honor his late father's dream. And the Ravens granted him that wish. He goes to Kansas City. But overall, I mean, we look at what happened in that Buffalo game, and the Ravens' offensive line got torched for 60 minutes straight. And it was it was just a lot of different combinations. They were dealing with snapping issues. I mean, you know, Chris talked about Marquise Pouncey snapping that ball over Ben Roethlisberger's head. Well, Patrick McCarry snapped the ball over Lamar Jackson's head, and Lamar Jackson gets concussed on that play. So the Ravens had to work with their offensive line, and Eric DaCosta, John Harbaugh addressed that in their end-of-season press conferences. They said, yeah, we're going to take a look at it. And I think they did a good job. Bradley Bozen moving over mm-hmm. from left guard to center is a great move. And then on defense, the Ravens, they, they lose some edge rushers. I mean, Matthew Judon, Yanni Kingakwe, Jihad Ward were, were pretty – significant losses and people were worried about that position until Justin Houston comes in 97 and a half career sacks in 10 seasons. They're expecting big leaps from players like Patrick Queen into Sean Elliott. So I think the defense and you look at Marlon Humphrey, obviously Marcus Peters, that secondary Clay is Campbell, Brandon Williams, Derek Wolf on the defense. People are excited in Baltimore. They think the team can grow again, which is, which is huge. And I think is absolutely necessary. People are talking about Super Bowl or bust. For the Ravens, I don't really see it that way. I, th- I think they have a lot of time to win a Super Bowl. I, I think they definitely have AFC Championship written on them, and they can make it to the Super Bowl. But I, I don't think, I, you know, I don't think the Ravens, if they w- lose in the Super Bowl this year, or if they don't make it to the Super Bowl this year, I don't think that's the the kiss of death for the Ravens. I don't really know how it would be when you've got a right. young quarterback <laughs> like Lamar, who's by most accounts going to continue to be the quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens. I guess we have, we'll have to see what happens with that contract. Eventually let's talk about some of the new additions. Rashad Bateman was a guy who I really liked as a draft pick for the Baltimore Ravens was one of those guys where it's like, yeah, he's going to be a Raven, isn't he? And he's going to go be a really solid receiver there. You watch him run route sometimes. Sometimes I think he looks like Keenan Allen. And I thought that looking at his Minnesota tape from time to time, He's unfortunately dealing with a bit of an injury. Odafe Owe in the second round, Ben Cleveland in the third round. Any of these guys expected to be major first-year contributors in Baltimore? Yeah, I think Rashad Bateman, when he gets on the field, is going to be huge for the Ravens. Now, when is that going to be? We don't really know right now. He's expected to miss 
I'd probably say the first month of the regular season, he had surgery. You know, he's recovering. I'd anticipate Baltimore puts him on IR after cut day happens, so he'll be out for that minimum of three weeks. He's going to be good for them, though. The Ravens, they needed some outside guys. They were playing mostly slot guys on the outside for a lot of 2020. You know, Marquise Brown was getting those snaps. Devin DuVernay, Willie Sneed. They really only had one true outside guy, and that was Miles Boykin who hasn't really produced for them in the way that they've wanted. So I think Bateman, you know, you mentioned the route running stop start ability has some speed. He's not a burner, but he can beat you deep. So I think that he's going to be great. Odafe Owe, their other first round pick. They got that pick in the Orlando Brown junior trade. Uh, He's going to be good too. His timeline though, he's only been playing football for a few years. He has a lot to learn. He has the traits. I mean, he was playing gunner on special teams in the first preseason game. So, you know, you have this huge guy, on defense, can play special teams. He's very versatile. The Ravens are experimenting with him, dropping him back into coverage as well. Uh, with Justin Houston, the need for him to produce out of the gate goes down, but I still think he does have to at least show a, a little bit of something. Ben Cleveland, a lot of people considered him the front runner for the left guard job that was wide open, but he's been dealing with a bunch of injuries, actually left practice with another injury. So we you know we're waiting to see what that is, but at the end of the day, I think, when he gets back, when he gets healthy, he's probably not going to be the starting left guard week one. But if whoever wins that job does struggle, you know, Ben Cleveland is 6'6", 250, or 357 pounds, excuse me. So big guy, huge guy, has a ton of power. So I, I'd anticipate he's going to be in Baltimore for a long time and hold down a starter spot for a long time when he actually gets one. Let's poach some players, shall we, guys? Let's steal somebody from the Baltimore Ravens for your team. And let's start this time with Chris Carter, looking at this Ravens roster, who would do the most for the Pittsburgh Steelers? Well, absolutely. You got to pick Lamar Jackson. I mean, he's their best playmaker. He'd be a young quarterback to infuse into the Steelers roster. Um, and with Najee Harris, the way that he runs the ball, I think the biggest thing that the Ravens haven't done around Lamar Jackson is get him a running back in the first few years. Now, J.K. Dobbins could be that guy because he was my guy of that draft. And when the Steelers passed on him for Chase Claypool, I was a little surprised. But then with Chase Claypool's production, totally understood. And I don't doubt the Steelers when they draft receivers. They just they pick anybody and he turns into a superstar. But my thing with Lamar Jackson is if you put him with a, with a, with a talented running back and maybe J.K. Dobbins is that guy – he becomes even more dangerous out the backfield because then you can start making linebackers have to guess, okay, which guy do we have to stop? And then you'd also pair him with a much better receiving core than he's ever had in his career with Chase Claypool, Juju Smith-Schuster, Deontay Johnson, James Washington. And then you'd still get Pratt Fryermuth, who looks like a very exciting player in this preseason. So absolutely for the Steelers, it is Lamar Jackson. The Steelers need a quarterback. That makes sense. Jeff. (laughs) The he basically, Cleveland. he basically just stated that they needed a quarterback, didn't he? I, all I'm saying is, for the future, they're happy with Ben right now. But if you could take Lamar Jackson as he is and plug him for the rest of his career in Pittsburgh, I don't. I, I think some Steelers fans would start saying, "Hey, we like that guy now." I, I, I can see that happen. <laughs> I would hope. I'll that... go with. Um, I'll go with Marcus Peters. Um, I, I just think Marcus Peters is one of those cornerbacks that sometimes gives things up. But I think it's also part of like he gives things up to the for the sake of keep throwing at me. Because when when it really matters is when I'm going to end this game, I'm going to take it to the house. Um, The Browns right now, the secondary looks good on paper, but we really haven't seen much of it. Um, A guy like Peters who can, you know, just find a way to turn a game, um, you know, take 180 yards to the house on a pick six. Um, I think that's something that would be a welcomed, welcomed addition to the Browns secondary where they're still trying to figure out cornerbacks two, three, four, and five. 
You know what? I can kind of see it with the Browns. There are some questions in that secondary with some injuries, but uh, I wasn't going to say quarterback. I'm not one of those guys. You know what I appreciate, Jeff, is that that whoa, you're whoa, whoa. Uh, you're going away from what I would expect the picks to be from these teams. James, let's talk about a player for the Bengals. Let's see if you're going to take the guy that I would take if I was picking. You're right. I'm glad Jeff is picking wrong the first two teams. He's you chase Claypool. I don't need anybody. On, this is a luxury. But go ahead. And oh. then he's passing on Lamar Jackson, who's way better than Baker Mayfield. Anyways, Mark Andrews. Let's add him to the the three headed monster uh, at pass catcher and make it a four headed monster. That's the guy I'm going with. One guy you didn't mention, James, is the 27 year old, very good left tackle Ronnie Stanley, who would have been yep. my first thought. There is. Of course, a lot of hype around the Cleveland Browns. I feel like there's always a lot of hype around the Cleveland Browns lately. Is this the year that the Browns come through and wrest the division away from the Ravens or the Steelers or the dark horse? Let's call them generously the Bengals. I I think this is one thing. And if you saw if you heard it when Chris spoke and you heard it with Kevin spoke you know, the Browns, they're actually being smart right now. And I don't think they're going to play anybody of any significance this week, which means they'll go the entire preseason without doing it. So you're trying to keep yourself in a situation of, okay, we then have two weeks, everybody goes full bore out in practice, and we get ready for September 12th in Kansas City. At least you'll know what you have. You know, obviously, as Chris mentioned, and Kevin, you know, this guy's out for this amount of time. We're not sure when this guy's going to be back. For the Browns, it's it's been a luxury to sit these guys. You know, there's still, you know, Denzel Ward, Odell has been coming back, uh, you know, slowly. Obviously, neither of these guys are going to play in a preseason game. But you look at it, and the thing is, everything is just so – I, I said it with all of you guys last year during crossovers. Everything is so on the same page right now. When you hear one person speak, whether it is Andrew Berry, whether it's Kevin Stefanski, where it's the players, it, everything seems so verbatim, and everybody is speaking the same language. As for years, we listen to one guy talk, the other guy talk, then the head coach, and we'd sit down and say, all right, well, what's the code here? What does any of this mean? Because none of it makes any sense. You know, you lock up a player like Nick Chubb. You know, ideally, running backs, you know, a lot of people, you just don't pay him. But they're in a really tough spot with a player like Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb is the player you point at as players, you know, come into your building. We'd like you to act like this. This is the work ethic we want. This is the dedication to this franchise we want. So, yeah, he was a running back but it's also like the model citizen of what you're trying to find 53 guys to be like in your locker room. You look at the addition of bringing in a player like Jadavian Clowney. Could be something that could be really, really good. Could be something that could just kind of be average. Ask Tennessee. Could be something that's over in week one. Um, the the uh, ability to you know, add to the secondary. Um, you know, even still, you know, obviously they got torched in the playoff game, right, Chris, against Ben Roethlisberger. Of course, that was a practice squad call-up. Andrew Sandejo. Um, uh, the safety that went back to the Raiders, they really, really had to upgrade this guy. When you're taking people off the practice squad to start in a playoff game, you know you got issues at secondary. So where Greedy Williams stands, I don't think anyone's sure, but they needed to draft another cornerback. So they brought Greg Newsom in with their first pick. You bring in a Troy Hill. Uh, so you're four deep right off the bat there. John Johnson, the third, the best safety on the market. They get that done. Grant Delpit, we'll see where it goes with Grant Delpit. Uh, the health has not been kind here as he's trying to manipulate his new body now coming back from the Achilles um, you know, and getting you know the tweaks within the legs that players do when they come back from a significant injury. Bonnie Harrison, uh, you know, he's working his way back into the fold, who was a really, really nice get for the Browns late in the summer last year. Um, the linebacker core, and again, it's not going to be much different than last year. The Browns don't truly 
I don't want to say they don't truly care about the linebacker position, but they want to play a lot of nickel and dime. So they're not going to pay a linebacker a significant amount of money when they would rather have more defensive backs on the field. Um, one thing that's actually been a weird kind of pleasant surprise, and this is something that could be something, maybe not something, Malik McDowell. I was against it when it happened. You know, I, I just don't like these type of players that you have, you know, that are just normally headaches and they cause you concern. Thus far, he's been an absolute model, model citizen. Last week, he showed the promise that everybody had for him five years ago. You know, big, tall, athletic, just a difference maker type of guy. Showed it well this past week. He's probably going to start this week in week three of the preseason because nobody in the defensive tackle room has really made a name for themselves so much. So now here's a guy like Malik Badawi. You brought him in trying to say, hey, maybe you can get your career at least on track to where the Browns may say, look, you're the most athletic dude in this room. And we'll ride this wave if you can turn out to be the most productive one here. You've talked a lot about the defense here. I want to ask a question about the offense. And who is more important to the Cleveland Browns' chances of success? Would you say in the last, let's say starting last year and going forward, is it offensive line coach Bill Callahan or is it quarterback Baker Mayfield? Which of those two individuals has earned more credit or should earn more credit for the turnaround in Cleveland. Well, this isn't, I mean, look, and I totally get what you're saying. And it makes a lot of, you know, it makes a lot of sense, but this also went on in 2018 before Bill Callahan was here when the Kevin Zeitlers of the world were still here. The Browns had a pretty strong offensive line in 2018. I know saying Greg Robinson, Chris Hubbard were strong tackles. They really played well. Baker Mayfield, you keep them clean. And we say this about any quarterback, you keep them clean. They should make the plays. It's, it's turned out to be a really, really nice situation for the Cleveland Browns. And they probably have about 11 offensive linemen on their roster right now who they're not going you know, to be there in the regular season come the final cutdown, who most likely are going to be on rosters week one. And it's a nice situation to be in. They know what their starting five is. Uh, you know, Chris Hubbard's going to come back to his you know, uh, returning role of you know, if he needs to, he can fill in a right tackle. He can fill in at right guard. He may also have to fill in a left tackle, which maybe nobody's really too excited for. Um, but he did really well in that role last year, breaking in some younger guys. Drew Forbes is back. They just in a really nice situation. And look, the credit to you know Bill Callahan, there's no doubt about it. You have to give him the credit here. But you know, Wyatt Teller wasn't brought in by Bill Callahan. Wyatt Teller was having a strong 2019 before Bill Callahan got here when he actually finally got to play. Bill Callahan's working with some good players. Joel Batoni was always here. J.C. Treader was always here. Jack Conklin was a name before he met, uh, you know, the Bill Callahan. Jedrick Wills was drafted 10. He was basically here. We gave you a lot of great things. We expect it to be great. So that's what he did. And obviously, he put a position where Baker hit his stride week seven on last year, you know, and led into the playoffs. Um, I, you can't put it on the coach because he's not executing anything on the field. If you want to say maybe is 24 is integral, is number 95 is integral? Yeah, maybe that's fair. But, um, you know, look, Bill Callahan was given great pieces and was expected to do great things, and he's done just that. You know, maybe it was a trick question, and the answer is actually Kevin Stefanski, who seems to have fi finally unlocked that consistency with Baker Mayfield down the stretch. Let's do our roundtable of poaching. James, let's start with the Bengals this time. If you're looking at this Browns roster, who are you taking? You could go offensive line, right? And, uh, you know, I butchered the Ronnie Stanley one, admittedly, because I was just seeing those shiny weapons and thinking Ravens defense. 
but you know. Um, a- anyways, I'm not going to butcher this one because while it's tempting to go with Wills or one of these offensive linemen, hell, maybe even Bill Callahan, you can make that argument. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to go with Miles Garrett. <laughs> You're going to have T.J. Watt on one side, Miles Garrett on the other, and Bill Callahan. You know, in every oh, other offensive line coach, they're going to struggle. So that's uh, that's who I'm picking. Chris, you've talked a lot about how strong you feel Alex Highsmith game is going to take a step. You feel TJ Watt. We all know he's still going to be good. The Melvin Gordon addition seems to add some depth to that edge rush room. Maybe it's not Miles Garrett for you, or maybe it is. Who are you stealing from the Browns? Well, you know, I, I have to apply some context, and I still think there's a little bit about the whole him assaulting Mason Rudolph with a helmet thing. That <laughs> makes me that? think, yeah, maybe they wouldn't want to take him and Adam to the locker room. <laughs> just, just a little delicate about the whole trying to kill him with a helmet in the middle of a game. Like, but uh, you know, outside of that, sure, Miles Garrett would be great. But if I was picking a guy that would also apply, it'd be Denzel Ward because the Steelers lost their number two cornerback, Steven Nelson. They're really excited to see Cam Sutton, but Cam Sutton's best tool is his versatility. He's been able to play on the outside and in the slot, and he made it, he made money in the slot for the Steelers behind Mike Hilton, and they were kind of ready for him to step up in the slot until Steven Nelson was like, "I'm not, I'm not trying to you know compete with him this year. I'm out." So. Um, if you could add Denzel Ward on the outside, Cam Sutton put him in the slot. I think that would be a great addition addition to this to the Steelers. Um, yeah, Miles Garrett, like on paper, sure. Just you know, a little context of uh, the assault thing kind of kind of wipes that away. Maybe some chemistry issues with the Miles Garrett <laughs> idea. So there's a seven. 17- Just get rid of Mason Rudolph and bring in Miles Garrett. <laughs> Well, that's totally the answer right there. Yes. <laughs> so there's a 2017 first round pick from the Cleveland Browns. The 2018 first round pick from the Cleveland Browns or one of them in Denzel Ward. Kevin, who's Baltimore stealing from this Cleveland roster? You know, I could definitely say Miles Garrett. I mean, just like I think anybody could, but I'm actually going to go on the offensive line and, and say JC Treader. I, I think that, the Ravens, with their center issues last year, they obviously are moving Bradley Bozeman over there, and they're confident in him. But, you know, what if they didn't? They could put Bradley Bozeman back at his left guard position. They could put Treader in the middle. Treader is a model of consistency, one of the best in the game. A lot of Ravens fans, and the Ravens were linked to Corey Lindsley for some of the offseason, and I think he could have been a great guy to have on the Ravens' offensive line. But you could never have enough good offensive line depth, not, not enough good offensive linemen. I think with the way the Ravens offense is, you know, they take advantage of just how good their offensive line is every single play, just like most teams do. But I still think that I think Treader would be the best option. Just, you know, Miles Garrett's Miles Garrett, but I think JC Treader would do a lot more for the Ravens team as a whole. So let's wrap up, James, with the Cincinnati Bengals. They came in last in the AFC North in 2019. Joe Burrow, of course, tore up his knee. And well, he's going to play in the preseason. That's the latest news out of Cincinnati as he makes his way back from the ACL surgery. What are expectations in Cincinnati for this team? And what are the major differences? What's going to potentially push them over the hump in Joe Burrow's second year? Well, the expectations are certainly higher. They need to take a step, maybe multiple steps, depending on who you ask. But when you win six games in two years, And over the past two off seasons, you've invested significant money into the team in free agency. You had 10 draft picks, uh, seven draft picks last year, I believe. I I think it was seven. But either way, you're adding guys like T. Higgins, Joe Burrow, as you mentioned, 
Jamar Chase, guys that should bolster your offense. And then on the flip side, you invest a ton of money in defense. They expect to get out of the cellar in the AFC North maybe this year. And is that a realistic expectation? I'm not sure. You just heard all the, these guys talk about how tough you know the division is and how good their, their teams are because they all went to the playoffs last year. So I think that's a, a tough ask. At the same time, I think it's fair to, to see legitimate progress with what they've invested in this team. Now, you asked where are they different. Let's start on the offensive line. Bill Callahan got to Cleveland, and the offensive line changed, right? He did make an impact. That was your point about that question. Well, the Bengals, they get rid of Jim Turner, who was an awful offensive line coach, literally brutal. The players didn't really like him. And they bring in a guy in Frank Pollock who the players seem to love on and off the record. And that was the thing is off the record. Players would tell you that Jim Turner was not good at his job. But Frank has the respect of these guys. And so far through two preseason games and it's preseason, you take it with a grain of salt. The offensive line at least looks better. Now they went out and got Riley Reef in free agency, certainly an upgrade at right tackle. You had a couple of guards that, uh, you know, in the draft, in linemen in the draft. So we'll see. It doesn't look like those guys are going to start. But Pollock was like their major addition to this line, and that's the key. You mentioned Burrow's injury. That's what everybody knows. Everybody knows Joe Burrow got injured. He was getting hit too much. So will he get hit less? If so, I think they have the weapons around him to, to be pretty fun on offense, even with uh, a really tough AFC North and three really good defenses. And in this defense, speaking of, I think they just – if they're top 18 in the league, you'll take it because they had a lot of losses. They lose Carl Lawson in free agency, replace him with Trey Hendrickson, add a bunch of rookies that are expected to contribute right away. We'll see if that happens. You got Jesse Bates on the back end, uh, a guy in Mike Hilton, who Chris Carter's familiar with, being playing in the nickel there. Trey Wayne's on one side, Shidobe Awuzi on the other. It should be a decent secondary. So if they can get league average defense, and that offensive line can hold up, and those are two pretty big ifs because neither one happened last year, then I think they could be a pretty good team and, and give these other AFC North teams fits. When you listen to the Browns, the Steelers, the Ravens' expectations, and then you listen to the Bengals' expectations, you get the feeling that things are a little bit different in Cincinnati, as you would expect mm-hmm. for a team that struggled with you know, a young, uh, a young head coach getting his first exposure. You mentioned weapons though, James, you talked about all the weapons in Cincinnati. You talked about the offensive line coach being the biggest addition to the offensive line. Did they get it right? Because this is the question that people love to talk about on the old Twitter streets. Oh, Penny Sewell. That was a no brainer pick. Well, Penny Sewell is having his own rough time in Detroit. Maybe it was actually Rashawn Slater the whole time. They pick Jamar Chase instead is a feeling that they got it right right now. It is. I still think they got it right. And the reason I think they got it right, and here's been the problem. Usually when a draft pick fails, it's because the front office feels one way or the coaching staff feels another, and then one of them makes the decision, and then the coaches are stuck with it or vice versa. Everybody ultimately at the end of the day, Paul Brown Stadium said, all right, Jamar's our guy. Not that there wasn't a bunch of debates, but that was their guy. And I think last year you saw T. Higgins, when they are on the same page, you know, with a player, they're going to develop him and they're going to get the most out of him. And you saw by the end of the year, T. Higgins looked like a borderline number one receiver in this league. Now you add a Jamar Chase to it. And I know he's off to a slow start. I think it's going to be the same thing. I think you're going to see him 
really used all over the field. It, you know, his run after catch they love, but but just his ability is uh, is something that they said, hey, we have to get at number five. Now you could argue they didn't do enough to improve the offensive line, that they didn't spend enough money in free agency to address the trenches uh, on the offensive side of the ball. But I don't think it was wrong to say, hey, let's go get this stud playmaker that's going to make Marlon Humphrey want to take Pepto-Bismol before they go up against the Bengals twice a year and, and, and make you know Denzel Ward hate to, to worry about tackling number one because he's just tough to bring down and he doesn't want to hurt that shoulder again. And, and that's the thing is I think Chase is a really physical player. He's going to bring it in the, as a blocker as well as, you know, at the catch point and everything like that. And when you add him to a receiver room that has Boyd, you know, Tyler Boyd that has a, a guy in T Higgins who flashed, like I said, last year and Joe Mixon in the backfield, you couldn't really ask for more weapons if you're Joe Burrow. So from a weaponry standpoint, I do think the Bengals got it right with the fifth pick and they are pretty scary. And, We'll, uh, we'll discuss it throughout the year, I think, when we talk about these AFC North matchups. They're not going to be easy. The Bengals might lose and finish fourth in the division, but it's not going to be uh, something that's easy for these other teams. Before we talk about our predicted finish for this division, let's see if these high and mighty, the rest of the AFC North teams, could deign to stoop so low and take a player from the Cincinnati <laughs> Bengals to improve their teams. Kevin, I don't think I've started with you yet. You get the first shot of this time. Who's going to help the Ravens from Cincinnati? Yeah, well, look, if you guys are offering, I'll take T. Higgins. I mean, I I loved T. Higgins in that draft. I thought the Ravens should have gone with him, but alas, they did not. And even so, the Ravens are dealing with their injuries at wide receiver right now. And they one, they need bodies, but Higgins is a very talented guy and he fits the mold of what the Ravens need right now he he would be a dream in this offense and I'm a little disappointed they didn't end up taking him and now they have, they have to play him twice a year but I think it's Higgins for me it's tough when you go from having to play AJ Green who certainly had his moments against Baltimore uh, to yeah. suddenly facing for the next who knows how long the guy who modeled his game and looked up to AJ Green his entire football career I feel what you're feeling. Chris, we're going to go to you last this time. I feel like you've had the first or second pick each time no so far. Here. So, so Jeff, uh, your high and mighty Browns in Cleveland, who are they taking <laughs> from Cincinnati to improve the roster? If I am poaching a Cincinnati Bengal, I am coming in and I am taking J Jesse Bates up North to the promised land and going maybe from the basement and possibly to the cellar. Jesse Bates is one of, in my opinion, one of the best safeties in the NFL. Does not get nearly the credit he deserves. Does not get mentioned nearly as much as he does. Came into this league as young as he did, and it just translated from day one. Special, special talent, Jesse Bates, number 30. He would be the guy I would be coming to, and you know, we would send the limo down, everything. Chris, let's finish with the Pittsburgh Steelers. If, as you look at this Bengals roster, who stands out? Who appeals? Uh, if I'm picking a guy, it's got to be Jesse Bates, as Jeff said, because you take the second best safety in the AFC North and put him with the best safety in the AFC North, and that is Minka Fitzpatrick, and that would be the best safety combination in the NFL. Um, you know, So I, I look at that, and I would say, man, those two would be 
phenomenal together on defense and they're both young that would be that would be fantastic to have over the years um that would be that would be an interesting pick there i know james is raising his hand if you're asking why i'm not taking joe burrow it's because i'm a little nervous man after how his start with with, with getting hurt last year man i always get nervous about how quarterbacks can get marred when they start with rough organizations and get beat up in their early years and how they might bounce back why for example why i would never touch sam darnold you brought in right. Dwayne Haskins. Well, there you go. You answered my Burrow question. Even As a backup quarterback. You're, the, you're out of your mind. No one starter. step away from being the quarterback. Yeah, as, a, as a backup quarterback of the future. Uh, oh, backup. Back, again, backup Who, quarterback. Who's better today, roundtable, right now, Joe Burrow or Ben Roethlisberger? Go. Ben Roethlisberger. Right now? Ben Roethlisberger. Joe Burrow. Okay. Are ben you kidding? Right now. Are you kidding? Oh my! Right God. now, it, I it, 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 a little bit in only, Joe Burrow's played like two games. <laughs> exactly. The only time we've seen Joe Burrow is when he has the definitive best college football team in the land and, and crushed and the people. Maybe, maybe it's because he had his worst game in the NFL against the Ravens. The one time Joe he played Burrow the almost single-handedly beat the Cleveland Browns twice. Meanwhile that Ben Roethlisberger was down 28 nothing in the first quarter in the playoff game and wilted because he's old, he's out of shape. Like, come on He also now. beat them 38-7 to when the Steelers were actually healthy. But, you know, the, the, go ahead. Go ahead with your bad self. Let's wrap up with a quick predicted order of finish in the division. Kevin, let's start with you. Order of finish in the division. Are the Ravens going to take this thing back? Are the Browns going to usurp? Or will the Steelers run it back? Yeah, I think that honestly the Ravens are going to take it back, but it's going to be close and literally close to the point where the Ravens and Browns both finish 13 and 4, the Ravens winning it with conference tiebreaker. I think the Steelers aren't going to be a bad football team this year. People have Pittsburgh at like 4 wins, at 5 wins. I don't I don't see it that way. I, I see them as a 9-10 win team. Um for the Bengals, I think they, they still have a couple more years, but they're going to be better than they were in 2020. I expect them to take steps. Uh, honestly, for them, I see anywhere from six and 11 to, to seven and 10. These, these 17 game record or say 17 game records have me a little, they're going to get, take some getting used to, but honestly, the Ravens, I think they addressed their needs. The Browns, I mean, honestly, every team in the North did. I think, you know, some teams lost more than others. This is going to be a tough division for, I mean, years, years to come. So many talented players. But this year in particular, I think is going to be Baltimore by a hair for the division crown. I wish I could remember what the projections were, what the predictions were last year. Jeff, the Browns and the hype, 13 and four and 13 and four. Do you think it'll come down to a tiebreaker or the Browns running away with this thing or do they have their work cut out for them? I think that's a huge, huge advantage they got with the schedule where they get to play the Ravens twice in three weeks with a bye week. Baltimore were already have had their bye week by that point. I think in between, Kevin, you can uh, check me here, maybe Chris. I believe it's Pittsburgh in between those two games. <clears throat> so that's going to be a real, real big advantage for Cleveland and should maybe give them an opportunity to tip the knot here. Chris, I love you, and I'll say this every year when we do these previews. I think this is it for Pittsburgh. I think this is the – I honestly think like I think Cincinnati years. is going it's to finish third. So was that was that Brown's number one? Was that the prediction, Jeff? Yes, indeed, sir. Okay, so far yes, we're indeed, two sir. out of two out of hosts projecting their own team to win the <laughs> Can you make it three out of three, or are you going to shy away? 
I'm gonna break the trend. I'm gonna break the trend. I'm gonna say they both finish at 11 and six. I still hate seven uh, having to calculate 17 total games. Um, but I say the, the the Ravens split the series, but they win the tiebreaker for more division wins. And you see you see them win the division, but the Steelers make it in as the playoffs. I see the Browns finishing nine and eight. Uh, maybe they make I want seven. whatever you've got in that glass then. If you think the Browns are only winning nine games, whatever you've got in that glass you're sipping on, please send me a bottle my way. Uh, actually, it's a really good whiskey called Uncle Nearest. It's uh, a lot of back history in that. Comes one. right out of Pittsburgh, I'm sure, right? Uh, no, it's actually from a, uh, the original person, original slave who uh, came up with the Jack Daniels formula. It's a long story about how black people were misrepresented in whiskey making, but that's another story for another podcast. Uh, but uh, point being, um, I, I just, I'm sorry, like I just. Like, like Baker being rated 71 on the top 100 list. I'm like, okay, go ahead with your bad self. I just, that's, I just don't understand how you think they could be significantly. And you're not saying not as good. You're saying significantly not as good. Wait, how, how many wins did they have last year? 11. So two, what you're saying, two wins less. Like that's not, that's not like, oh, two and man, a half wins uh, less. It's a 17 game season this uh, year. Okay. Yes, yes. Yes. But my, my point is I got steel. I got, I got Ravens at the top Steelers right with them and, and coming in second with a tiebreaker. I got, Browns at nine and eight. I got the Bengals. I do think that they're going to take a step up this year, but not enough to to shake the tables. I, I'll give them six or seven wins um, on the season, um, and that that's how I have the division falling out right there. As we go to James to wrap this up, thought you might be the one person who wouldn't put the team you cover at the top of the division. Unfortunately, Chris. Uh, or fortunately, Chris breaks that trend. James, how do you see things shaking out? I'm going to start with the Bengals. The Bengals are fourth. I think seven to eight wins, though, is realistic. Again, this is a testament to how good this division is. People have predicted that Pittsburgh is going to take a step back. Yeah, they're going to take a big, a little bit of a step back because they won the division last year. They're also not going to fall on their face because Mike Tomlin is still there and they're still really, really good on defense. And I think they're going to get back to running the ball, which is what you do when your quarterback is aging and he's the fourth best quarterback in the division. So Najee Harris going to help that cause. They do have good receivers. I got the Steelers third. I think they're going to win nine games. And I think that's fair. Second, it's Cleveland. Let's go up to, uh, you, you know, uh, Northeast Ohio. I think they could still win 11 games, maybe even 12 games, 11 and six, 12 and five in that range. I like the Ravens. I think they win 13 games and uh, win this division. But again, it's a great division. Wouldn't be shocked if three of the four teams make the playoffs again. And uh, it's going to be a lot, a lot of fun to watch these AFC North matchups this year. The Cleveland Browns. Yes, the Cleveland Browns will win the AFC North and, I believe, be able to put up a fight against the likes of the Buffalo Bills or the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC playoffs. I'm buying a big bounce-back year from Odell Beckham. I'm buying another very solid season from Baker Mayfield behind what might be the game's best offensive line and certainly, uh, arguably, the game's best tandem of running backs. They are loaded at wide receiver. They are putting players on the waiver wire that other teams are clamoring to claim. That's the exact opposite of most of the Cleveland Browns' existence since they came back as an expansion team. The defense will be better. Jadavion Clowney, maybe not huge sack numbers, but definitely huge productivity. And Miles Garrett, yeah, I'd put him as a front runner for defensive MVP. You're going to see Miles Garrett lead the league in sacks. The Browns are for real. Tune in tomorrow as we continue our eight-part series breaking down all 32 teams across all eight divisions ahead of the 2021 NFL kickoff as the ultimate NFL season preview brought to you by Odyssey and the Locked On Podcast Network 
continues. Tomorrow, we find out if it's actually a two-team race in the AFC South. Is it the Titans, Colts battling it out for the division? Or can the Texans and Jags surprise everyone and make some noise? We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.